Mel Olver is a friend of this congregation, a member of our congregation in Chilai, and also serves as the attorney for the Presbytery of Genesee Valley, with whom we've worked on several projects. Mel was in a very, very serious one-car accident this past week and remains in the intensive care unit at Strong Hospital. So we join with his family and our partners across the Presbytery, continuing in prayer for Mel. Let us pray. On this beautiful day, O oh God, we ask you to silence in us any voice but your own. We ask you to open your word to us in fresh and new ways. We ask you again to remind us of the power and the grace of following you, of being your disciple. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, two portions of the 11th chapter. Let us hear God's word. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was ordained as a Presbyterian minister in August of 1989. I was only 12 then, just in case you're trying to do the math. The ordination service was held in the cavernous modern chapel on the campus of the College of Worcester in Ohio. I had joined the campus congregation. I had served on its session. And then I went through the ordination process there. And like many things, in retrospect, I had no earthly idea what I was getting myself into. 
Presbyterian ordinations are fairly prescribed affairs. There is an ordination commission comprised of ministers and elders. And because this was held in a location near where we had lived in several places, there were representatives from many of those congregations where I or my family had been connected to. I was grateful my, my father served on the ordination commission as well. Now this might not surprise you, Presbyterian ordinations tend to be very wordy affairs. That's W-O-R-D-Y affairs. Along with a sermon and a lengthy ordination liturgy, there are what we call charges, which are in fact many sermons and often not so many in their length. Sometimes there's a sermon and two charges, one to the new minister and one to the new congregation. In my ordination, since the congregation was off in Chicago, we got away simply with a sermon and a charge to the new minister. I will, I hope, always remember that charge to me. It was offered by a minister named William Briggs, who had served with my dad as the minister for community outreach in our church in Zanesville. Now Bill Briggs, still alive, was the first exposure I really had as a kid to a vision of the church's mission beyond its walls. In this case, his ministry was extensively with the Appalachian poor who dwelled throughout our region in southeastern Ohio. And Bill Briggs worked hard at a really challenging task, breaking down the walls, dismantling the boundaries between those with means and those without means in that very economically diverse community. And even now, he remains a kind of iconic role model for me. Now, I don't remember specifically what Bill Briggs said in his charge to me. I have no real illusions that words from a pulpit have a very long shelf life. But I do remember what he gave me, and I'm going to get it right now. He gave me this, a yoke, a replica handmade yoke. And ever since that moment when he put it in my hands, it has resided within my sight line and in my consciousness. His reference, of course, was to this morning's gospel reading, whereby Jesus says many important things about what it means to follow him, to live life differently because you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, the assigned task text from Matthew's Gospel is actually two texts, you might have noticed, with some middle verses excised from the reading this morning. Jesus, first, as Becky has reminded us, praises John the Baptist to the crowds. Jesus lifts up John's exemplary faithfulness. He is critical of the generation and the culture that rejects both John and Jesus. 
And then Jesus makes another countercultural affirmation that God has hidden the really godly things from the rich and the powerful and the self-impressed and revealed God's graciousness to those he calls infants, those at the periphery of culture and power. Now he says all this, of course, to comfort those who are following him, but it also provokes those whose very legitimacy Jesus threatens, those in religious power and those in political power. And then this pivot to powerful and comforting and provocative words, words certainly at their essence that help us understand what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. How extraordinary is that? A reflection from the Taze community shares that in a sense, we are all weary and overburdened. In our depth lies hidden a poverty which, because it frightens us, oppresses us and drags us down, but Christ welcomes us in our vulnerability and does not seem to be afraid of it. Come to me, he says. He seems to want to teach us to offer this inner poverty to God. Accepting our inadequacies, Christ takes upon himself what hurts us in ourselves. Jesus offers an entirely different yoke. A yoke that is easy, that's the translation, but it could be better translated, I think, kind or gentle. Jesus takes on our burdens and bears them for us. Biblical scholar Elizabeth Johnson writes, the yoke was a familiar symbol of burden-bearing, oppression, subjugation, Yokes were laid on the necks and shoulders of oxen and also on prisoners of war and slaves. According to Johnson, to all those laboring under harsh religious and political systems, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And in promising rest, Jesus promises life under God's reign in the new world that he is bringing into being. Over the course of its history, and certainly in the present moment, Christian faith can be understood as a set of restrictive principles and constrictive behaviors. But from the very start, Jesus offers faith that is different than that. It is not a burden, or at least it shouldn't be. Discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, joined with all of these other 
followers is not a burden. And yet, yet we all wear yokes. Sometimes we're aware, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we choose, sometimes we don't. And the yoke Jesus imagines provides direction to be sure and guidance, but not control. The wrong yoke. The yoke of harmful behavior or the yoke of power will control us and lead us in the wrong direction. This is different, a different yoke for a different direction. Now I know we chafe at the thought of all this. We want nothing, no one to direct us or to steer us, but we also at the same time know better that we need guidance, we need direction. So even though faith can be portrayed as a burden, it is not. It is reorientation that provides lightness. Elizabeth Johnson asks, what is the yoke Jesus offers? It is his teaching, his way of discipleship, which is not burdensome, but life-giving. Jesus invites the weary to learn from him, for he is not a tyrant who lords it over his disciples, but is gentle and humble in heart. To take his yoke upon yourself is to be yoked to the one in whom God's kingdom of justice, mercy, and compassion is breaking into this world and to find the rest for which the soul longs. Now, of course, There is an ethical dimension to all of this, a kind of moral trajectory from this yoke-wearing. One direction is to those who create the burdens, to the political and religious authorities. Jesus challenges them at every turn, including here by insisting that the burdens they create will never have ultimate power. But in the meantime, we know they do oppress. And so we who know the lightness of wearing Jesus' yoke are called to the work of easing others' burdens. Those who are in a personal struggle, whatever that looks like, or those who face racism or poverty or sexism or oppression or ostracism of any kind, whether it's in the church or in the world. Again, from the Taze community, not only is God unafraid of our poverty, but in addition, God invites us to undertake with him the great work he is accomplishing in the world, to liberate by bearing the burdens of others, especially the self-imposed burdens that are sometimes born out of self-contempt. Therefore, we are called to divest ourselves of our own worries and to accept Christ's concerns in their place, to take upon ourselves a burden that paradoxically lightens our load. We We offer our shoulders so that human beings are no longer victims of themselves or others. Now, we don't like this word paradox, of course. We don't live with it comfortably, but there is paradox here to take something on in order to free us and liberate us. 
We are called to let go of so many things in order to take this one thing on, this yoke, with all of its symbolic significance. Charles Cusa writes that this image is a call to discipleship. Not obedience to a code, but loyalty to a leader. And Elizabeth Johnson puts it this way, It is not that Jesus invites us to a life of ease. Following him will be full of risks and challenges, as he has made abundantly clear. He calls us to a life of humble service, but it is a life of freedom and joy instead of slavery. It is a life yoked to Jesus under God's gracious and merciful reign, free from the burden of sin and the need to prove oneself free to rest deeply and securely in God's grace. I think that's what Bill Briggs meant when he gave this yoke to me all those years ago. I think that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer meant when he wrote about the power we receive when we let Jesus' yoke rest upon us. And that's what the 19th century spiritual writer Christina Rossetti understood when she wrote this beautiful prayer. O Lord Jesus Christ, who art as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land, who beholds your weak creatures weary of labor, weary of pleasure, weary of hope deferred, weary of self, in your abundant compassion and fellow feeling with us and unutterable tenderness, bring us, we pray thee, unto thy rest. Friends, may whatever burden you carry, may whatever burden I carry, may whatever burdens we carry together, and those of every burdened stranger and friend be easy and light. And may we know the true and full rest of Jesus. Amen.